we've come to the last week of a short sermon series that we've been doing uh, through the book of Second Thessalonians. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, we did a sermon series on the book of First Thessalonians, and now we began, and today we're closing uh, a sermon series on the book of Second Thessalonians, a book that the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, that he wrote to the church that he planted in the city of Thessalonica in Greece. Uh, we're going to be looking at the last chapter of the book, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. I've requested Vasha to read the passage out for us. It'll come for us on screen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord, Jesus Christ, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Asha. You know, I, I personally struggled a lot to understand this passage. Um, I would even go to the extent of saying that in the, uh, as I preach through the book of First and Second Thessalonians, uh, this is perhaps the passage that I found hardest uh, to understand. It's a simple passage, actually, if you look at it. In the first part of the passage, the Apostle Paul uh, asked for prayers for himself and this was for his companion as they continue on mission. Uh, he then encourages the Thessalonians, uh, assuring them that God is faithful and that he would take care of them, God would take care of them in all their hardships. And then he, this part of the passage, he closes in verse 5, saying, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is simple enough. This is uh, clear enough. And then in the second part of the passage, he warns people against idleness. Uh, there were some people in the Thessalonian church who had stopped working because they believed Jesus has already come back, as we saw in the earlier weeks. Uh, and, and this was stupid. And not only had they stopped working, they were actually being very disruptive uh, in, their, in, the, in the church. And then, after warning those who are idle, uh, Paul encourages the others uh, to work diligently and not to grow weary in doing good. And that's how he closes this passage in verse 13 when he says, um, uh, where, we, where he says, do not be weary in doing good. 
So in the second part of the passage, Paul is warning some people who are idle not to be idle. And he's exhorting others not to grow weary in doing good. And this too is, a, is pretty simple. The second part of the passage is also pretty simple. Nothing unclear about this. But here's what I was struggling with uh, for, for quite a bit of time to understand fully. You see, this is one composite passage. These are not two separate and unrelated passages. These are, this is one composite passage. And the thing that I was struggling to understand was how was the first part of the passage connecting with the second part of the passage? What's the relationship? What's the relation between the first part of the passage and the second part of the passage? So let, let me summarize uh, the, the, what, the issue that I was really struggle, struggling to understand here. First, Paul asked for prayer to be on mission, and he assures the Thessalonians of God's faithfulness. Then he commands the Thessalonians not to be idle, and not to be weary in doing good. These two seem unrelated. The first part of the passage is about being faithful in mission, and the second part of the passage is about being faithful in our careers. How are these two connecting? I was wrestling with this for a, for a fair bit. And then on Wednesday night, after, after an online gap, I couldn't sleep, so at around 1 a.m. in the morning, I was reading this passage over and over again in different, different versions of the Bible, and, and then the penny dropped. And I had this moment of revelation, which, which I'm convinced is, is the gracious work of God's Holy Spirit. And I began to see that the thing that's connecting these two seemingly unrelated passages is verse 5. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, Now I command you, brothers, do not be idle. And this is the ESV version that I read. Let me read the same in the King James Version, and you will see how this verse reconciles everything, and how this verse kind of connects with the entire theme of the book of, books of 1st and 2 Thessalonians. In the King James Version, verse 5 reads like this, And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and into patient waiting for Christ. Into patient waiting for Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, do not be idle and do not grow weary of doing good. This is remarkable. All of you who are professionals, artists, entrepreneurs, you are going to love this. Let me, let me show you what Paul is doing here. He's doing something incredibly powerful. Paul is establishing a direct connection between waiting well for Christ to come again and working well till Christ comes again. First, Paul says, May the Lord direct your heart to the patient waiting for Christ. This is waiting well. Immediately after that, he goes on to say, do not be idle in your careers, but keep doing good without getting tired, without growing weary. Keep doing good in your careers, in your jobs. This is working well. And so Paul 
is establishing a direct connection between waiting well for Christ to come back and working well in our jobs, in our careers, in, our, in the businesses we run. Paul is establishing a direct connection between our faith and our work. And that's why I've titled the sermon, The Goodness and the Desirability of Work. The first part of the passage, as we saw, is about waiting, is about being faithful in mission. We do this by waiting patiently for Christ to come back and sharing the good news. The second part of the passage is about being faithful in our careers. We do this by, we do this by waiting patiently and persevering in doing good through our careers till Christ comes back again. And this is what connects the two passages together, the two parts of the passage together. Whether we are on mission doing evangelism, or whether we are working in our careers, we do both waiting patiently for Christ to come again. With that, <coughs> I want to draw two helpful observations from this passage. Verse 13, the closing verse of the passage. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary of doing good. If you look at the context of the second part of the passage, where Paul is talking about not being idle, and if a man shall not work, he shall not eat, Don't be busybodies without doing any work. Make sure, see how we labored when we were among you. So the context of this passage, the backdrop of this passage, Paul is clearly talking and specifically talking about our careers, our vocations, whether it's the jobs we work at or the businesses we run. And in the context of the second part of the passage, where Paul is talking about our vocations and our careers, The doing good, do not become weary of doing good that Paul is talking about, is not only about mission. It's not only about serving in the church. Those are good things. We must do those. But in the specific context of the passage, when Paul says, do not become weary of doing good till Christ comes again, he is speaking specifically, do not become weary of doing good in your careers. This is a weighty statement. Put in context, this is how we must read verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good in your jobs and in your careers and in your businesses till Christ comes back again. That's the point Paul is trying to make. Paul is telling us that if you're working well, faithfully, with integrity, with excellence, with compassion, if you're working as ambassadors of Christ, you are waiting well till Christ comes back again. This does something profound to our careers. And my hope and prayer this morning is God would give us new and true gospel lens through which we begin to see and understand and celebrate the goodness and the desirability of work. As I said, I'm going to make two observations from the passage. And here's the first one. And this is important. Stay with me. 
in our own selfishness, in making our careers about ourselves, we underestimate the inherent goodness of our work. In our selfishness, we underestimate the inherent goodness of work. Let's admit it. 90% of the time, if not 99%, we make our work all about ourselves. Our success, our significance, our worth, our accomplishment, our security, our future, our reputation. And so when we make work so much about ourselves, when we view work from such a selfish perspective, we forget the inherent goodness of work, the inherent goodness that is present in all work. When we work only for ourselves, we forget the goodness of work. Work is like food in one sense. Uh, you can go to a fine dining restaurant all alone, all by yourself, and enjoy a great meal by yourself. The food will taste just fine. But you go to the same restaurant with, with 10 friends, and you enjoy that meal together with your 10 friends, that experience is going to be so much more richer. And so it is with work. When we, when we make work all about ourselves, we underestimate the inherent goodness that God has given to us in all of our work. Why is that? Why is this? The answer is a very simple one. You know, ultimately, each of your work, your work, my work, ultimately, all of our work serves someone in some way, whether you want it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you desire it or not, each of our work serves someone in some way. And this is the inherent goodness of work, in that all work, as long as the moral, legal, ethical, all work serves someone in some way. But when we work selfishly, when we make work about our own success, we forget to see that our work is actually serving someone else, and in doing that, we forget and we miss out on the goodness of our work. We labor unaware of the good our work is bringing to others because we are so focused on ourselves. We are so selfish making our work about our success that we are blind to see the inherent goodness in each of our work and how our work is actually blessing someone in some way or the other. God created work as both good and desirable. God designed work so that each of us can serve others through our work and also find fulfillment for ourselves, both. At the very beginning of creation, God instituted work as a holy calling. Work was a creation purpose. Work was one of the earliest purposes that God gave us, that God gave Adam and Eve. But when Adam and Eve sinned, work was cursed. Work became toil. 
And yet, and this is the beauty of it, this is the inherent goodness that's still there in our work, and yet God has been using and will continue to use our work, our fallen work even, to aid human flourishing. In God's providence, in God's common grace, God is using all of our work to ease the pain of the fall. Look around you. Work is helping human flourishing. Of course work is exploitative. Of course we all have bad bosses. Of course we have companies that mercilessly, ruthlessly lay off people. All of those ills, all of those sins, all of those wickedness is still rampant, no denying that. But despite all the wickedness, despite all the evil, work is still inherently good because it is, it is easing the pain of the fall, at least to some extent. Of course, all redemption ultimately happens only to the death, through the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. But our work, even in its fallen state, does ease the pain of the fall. And here's the sad thing. Here's what each of us, we're missing out. When we work selfishly and when we work idolatry, idolatrously just for our own benefit, we become blind to see the goodness that our work is doing to others. It's like laboring for years and years and years to grow a tree, and when the tree bears fruit, we're so blind that we can't even see the fruit of our labor. But when we stop being selfish, and when we begin to see work as a way in which we are serving others, our eyes are opened, and we begin to see the inherent goodness in all of our work. Deep down, deep down, we all believe that if we are selfish, we will have more for ourselves. Is this not true? Our greatest fear in being selfless, in giving of ourselves, of our money, whatever, our fear is we won't have enough for ourselves. Deep down we believe if we are selfish, we're going to have more for ourselves. And this is, this is wrong. Working selfishly is going to rob us of one of the greatest joys of our work, which is the joy of seeing others blessed through the work of our hands. So this morning, I want to invite us to open our eyes and to see, to see the real goodness and the desirability of work. In verse 13, Paul says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Do you know what's the fastest way to grow weary and fatigued in doing good? The fastest way, the surest way, the quickest way to become tired in doing good, the quickest way, the fastest way of growing tired in doing good is by is doing good for selfish reasons. The moment we start doing that, we put place an enormous burden on ourselves and we wear ourselves out. Open your eyes to see the goodness of unselfish work. We need to open our eyes to see the goodness of God's grand design 
for human flourishing through the work of our hands. And that's why Paul is encouraging them, encouraging the Thessalonians in the context, specifically in the context of the careers. This verse, do not become weary of doing good, is not a general verse made in the general Christian life. This is specifically shared in the context of our careers, which is why Paul's saying, do not become weary in doing good. That's the first insight I wanted to draw out for us. The second insight I wanted to draw out for us, again, is a very simple one. We underestimate the sin of our idleness. We underestimate the sin of our idleness. Mumbai is called the city that never sleeps. Uh, Everyone in Mumbai is busy, 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 busy all the time. And we all tend to assume because everyone's busy, no one's lazy, no one's idle. I want to challenge this narrative a little bit this morning. I want to shake this uh, wrong narrative a a little bit this morning. You see, when we spend two to four hours a day scrolling through Instagram reels, guilty, and then we realize we don't have enough time to finish our work for the day, we're not busy. We've just been idle for those two to three hours, two to four hours. Listen, I hate to tell you this, but if you're spending two to four hours on Instagram reels, you are idle. There's no other way to put it. If that's what I'm doing, I'm idle. When we binge watch Netflix till 3 a.m. and wake up at 11 a.m. and log into work from home at noon and find ourselves busy for the rest of the day, we're not busy, we've been idle. In our culture, idleness is not only doing nothing. In our culture, idleness is also spending too much time doing unnecessary things. It is our idleness that's leading us to spend too much time doing unnecessary things. Therefore, just because we feel busy does not mean we're not idle. Just because we feel busy does not mean we are not idle. In a city like Mumbai, I am busy has become an identity statement. In our culture, if you're not busy, you're worthless. If you're not busy, you're insignificant. If you're not busy in Mumbai, you are a nobody. And so we blind ourselves to our idleness and we pretend to be busy. I think this is true of all of us to some degree or the other. Next time I tell you I'm busy, remind me of the sermon, please. There's another way in which we mistakenly think we are busy when we are in fact idle. Another way. God has called each of us to many vocations. You know, when I say vocation, career is a vocation. Marriage is a vocation. Parenting is a vocation. Living a lifestyle of meaningful membership in a local local church. And God's calling on every one of our lives. And God's called each of us to many things. And so often, we are so busy in one of these callings that we end up living idle lives in the rest of this calling. 
for example, we can absolutize work and totally abandon God's call on us to be a father, to be a father to our children, to be a husband to our wives, or to be a wife to our, to our husbands. We work like crazy on our career, and when, then when we get home, we have no energy or no interest or no inclination for anything else at home. And so we are being super busy at our vocation of career, and we are being idle and lazy, abandoning our godly responsibility in all other spheres of life. Some of us might be homemakers, and being a homemaker is a beautiful vocation. And it's a vocation God has designed for human flourishing. Each of us decide for ourselves. Each couple decides for ourselves what is going to work for that family. So whether you're a homemaker or whether you're working out there in the world, you are doing God's work. And so for homemakers, we may tend to idolize our family. We give all our energies, all our attention. We give the best of ourselves only to our biological family and that we have no energy left for the local church, which is our spiritual family. This too is being busy in one area, but being idle in another area. How many of you have exhausted yourself working five days a week or six days a week and just vegetated through the next 24 hours? Not doing anything, not giving anything the attention, anything other than a work the attention that it deserves. That's idleness. We're busy, being busy in one aspect of our lives, but being idle and abandoning and neglecting our God-given responsibility in other parts of our life. There's a third way in which we underestimate the sin of our idleness. And here's, here's how. We fail to distinguish between rest and idleness. We fail to make a distinction between rest and idleness. Rest is good. Rest is godly. Rest is necessary. Idleness is none of the above. Going to bed early enough to get at least six, seven, eight hours. Six is too less, actually, but most of us barely get six hours. Seven to eight hours, at least. That's, that's healthy. But staying up, that's rest. But staying up, in that mindlessly scrolling through social media for two to three hours and, and, and not getting enough sleep is unhealthy idleness. And this is a downward spiral. You know, we might think I'm doing this because I'm not feeling, uh, uh, sleep. I'm not getting sleep. But that behavior kind of perpetuates itself, comes to a point where we can't sleep. Our mind is drawn to that. The dopamine hit that we get with when scrolling, mindlessly scrolling through inane stuff on social media keeps us awake craving more and more and more, and at least coming to, finally coming to a place where sleep is just impossible. Are you sacrificing rest in favor of idleness? All of us, especially in cities like Mumbai, we underestimate the sin of idleness in many different ways. And so Paul's warning, initially when I was reading the passage, I thought, how is Paul's warning on idleness relevant to Mumbai? Everyone's so busy. But as I began to reflect at my own life, and as I looked at culture around me, I began to see that how Paul's warning on idleness is so real in, in our own lives as well. Long spells of idleness 
is such a poor and ungrateful way of waiting for Jesus to come back again. Long spells of idleness is dishonoring the costly sacrifice that Christ made to save us. And Paul helps us to see this in another part of the Bible. Colossians chapter 1 verse 29, Paul says, To this end, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul is saying, grace is working in me. The grace of Christ is working in me, enabling me to labor for his glory. Grace inspires us. Grace stirs us. It empowers us to meaningful labor. But idleness, idleness is a sure sign that we are drifting away from the grace of God. All that said, if we really think about it, our careers are where we spend most of our time and energy on, for most of us. We invest a majority of our waking hours in our career. And as we have been seeing, our careers perhaps also is one of the greatest areas of our sinfulness. Our careers are perhaps where we are the most selfish. If we need to see us ourselves at our selfish worst, it's in crisis moments in our career. Pressure times in the, in the stress moments of our career is when we are most selfish. Our careers is the place where we are most self-reliant, rejecting God, choosing to work in our own strength. Our careers are the place where we most often reject Christ as our Savior because we want success in our work to be our ultimate salvation. Our careers is where we shut out God the most. Our careers are where we dehumanize people the most. It's also, it's probably the place where we treat people with least compassion because we want to get things done. And so, if we spend most of our time in our careers, and if it is in our careers that we are all at our sinful worst, then the majority of all of our sanctification has to happen in the context of our work. Most of our transformation into the image and the likeness of Jesus has to happen in the context of our work. If all that I've said is true, then your discipleship and mine has to happen in the context of our work. How can we make this happen? How is this going to happen? In the passage, the warning against idleness and the exhortation to not grow weary in doing good is preceded by a great assurance. Before Paul wants people not to be idle, before Paul exhorts them not to become weary in doing good, Paul first gives them, gives the Thessalonians, and gives us a great assurance. Verse 5, And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. May the Lord 
direct your hearts to the love of God. We can safely infer two things from this. First, the love of God is the antidote to all of our sinfulness. This is the only thing, the love of God is the only thing that can heal us and free us from our sinfulness. The sight of a sinless Christ, battered and bruised and hanging on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins upon himself, that is the only thing that can heal us of our sinfulness. That's the only thing that can purchase forgiveness for us. And in the same way, only the resurrection of Christ can give us the power to overcome our sinfulness. Only the resurrection of Christ can give us the power to overcome our temptation. That's the first thing. The only antidote for our sinfulness is the love of God. And the second and the last thing, and this is even more beautiful, it is God himself who directs our hearts to his love. May the Lord direct your hearts into his love. It is the Lord himself who directs our heart to his love. This is beautiful. Not only did God lay down his son as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins, but in our sinfulness, when we turn away from so great a sacrifice to live our selfish lives, God directs our heart back again into his love. And he does this a countless number of times. You see, both in our idleness and in us making our work about ourselves, we are turning our hearts away from Christ. But his love is so persevering that he himself directs our heart to his love again and again and again and again. And this is how our sanctification, this is how our transformation happens. Our sanctification and our transformation happens by God himself directing our hearts to his love again and again and again. Let us pray. Father, we worship you, Lord. Um, uh, thank you for your word that that's called us to consider and and reflect on the goodness of work, on the goodness of work. Help us, Lord, to grow out of our selfish, self-centered ways, to grow out of the just the limited tunnel vision of our own success and security through which we see our work. And open our eyes this evening, we pray. This morning, we pray. Open our eyes that we might see the inherent goodness that is there, that is still there despite the fall in each of our work. And help us, Lord, to look to Jesus and become more and more like him in the context of our workplace. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.